0: the guy climbed up with a lantern, uh, one of these uh, paraffin lanterns. So we, we were on the top there and I said to him, so so Phineas, his name was Phineas Komalo, and I said to him, Phineas, so what will we do now if the lions climb, climb up the tree? I mean." He said, maybe we must try and break off a branch and we can fight it off. And So now by this time we were very scared of the tree. And then he came with this beautiful plan and he said to me, I've got a plan. He's got cigarettes in his pocket. We've got paraffin in the in the, um, <laughs> in the the lantern. And he's going to throw it out and actually set the tree alight <laughs> so the lions couldn't get up into the tree.
1: That was Ed Stain from Wonderlust in South Africa. And this... Is the Traveling Optimist podcast with Steve Odie? Hey guys, hello and welcome, and dear recente optimist with Steve Odie. Now, I'm not sure if I've pronounced that correctly, but which I'm sure you all know is hello and welcome to the Traveling Optimist podcast with Steve Odie in Afrikaans. So, okay. Did you know that Afrikaans is a mixture of different languages with its roots, mainly in Dutch, but mixed with seafarer variants of Malay, Portuguese, Indonesian and indigenous Kuko and San? Who knew? Unbelievable. Anyway, what a couple of weeks it's been. Um, How are you coping with lockdown? Life uh, is still incredibly hard out there. I know Uh, the travel industry is just about hanging on by its fingernails. It's heartbreaking to learn every day that so many of my friends and colleagues are out of a job right now. You know, let me know if you need any help or advice, please reach out to me. Now, don't forget to subscribe to and review the Travelling Optimist podcast with Steve Odie on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It will be greatly appreciated. So this week's podcast, we are taking the long way down to South Africa, but not with you and McGregor or Charlie Borman, with someone way better. We've got Joe Berger, Ed Stain on the show to talk about life in lockdown South Africa, We're going to talk about tourism and safaris, the Comrades Run is going to explain what that is, and some other cool stuff as well. Ed is founder and CEO of Wanderlust Business Development and Consulting. Ed spent most of his career winning awards with luxury experiential travel companies operating in Africa, Asia, and South America, where he was responsible for sales in Africa, Europe, United Kingdom, Asia, and Australasia. So he's a great guy to have on the show. Let's dive in and meet our guest. Ed, hi. Welcome to the show, my
0: friend. Hey, Steve. Good morning. Um, Good morning. Thanks for the opportunity. Nice to chat to you. Thanks for the kind words, Ed. Eh? Uh, ah. Definitely sounds like a different person you, you're <laughs> describing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I read that and I thought, is that Ed, really? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> So, listen, how, how are things down in South Africa? Well, Steve, I think, um,
0: you know, it's like everybody. Um, I think we're trying to make sense of the chaos uh, that's around us in the world uh, at the moment. Uh, I, I think definitely the first few weeks of lockdown, let's say the first you know, week or two weeks, was kind of fun. And we got to know each other as a family. <laughs> but I think we are... We're absolutely all ready to get this behind us now. Um, South Africa's got uh, quite strict uh, lockdown rules, you know. So you know, for us in the tourism industry, we enjoy we enjoy a good cabernet or a souvenir uh, or ice cold beer um, because we love having holidays and making making life fun for people. And in South Africa. You can't buy any wine or alcohol during the lockdown period. And we're now close to 50 days in. So if you hear me twitching on the other side, <laughs> it's not voluntary.
1: <laughs> no, Absolutely. In the UK, we, we haven't had such strict lockdown rules, really. Um, so it must be tough, actually, for everybody in, in, the, in the whole of the country to kind of get to grips with this. Do you, so how, how do you think Africa is or how long is it going to take to recover from this lockdown?
0: Steve so um, i think from a from an economical point of view just at a macroeconomical level in your as a country um, i think it's going to be it can take multiple years closer to a decade probably um you know south africa was already not in the strongest financial position uh, mm-hmm. before before all of this um, and now they've they've really racked up some debt with the International Monetary Fund and uh, and and some organisations and and of course your your other problem now is there is there's no revenue coming in um, in terms of tax and VAT and those sort of things. So so I, I, I do think that unfortunately it's going to have a very long term effect on us from a tourism point of view. I do want to say that I think it's it's inspiring and it's actually very nice to see what's happening in the country right now as people are especially South Africans because we know we won't have international people traveling in our country for a long time uh, until there's a vaccine at least you know getting the borders open will take some time but what is inspiring at the moment is just to see how people want to discover their their own little town again and and areas around our towns and small little forgotten places Um, and you just realize again just absolutely how diverse and amazing Africa is and and not just South Africa but but Africa as a whole so Mm. I'm very optimistic for when it's going to come back. There's so much of it at the moment on the news and and on the internet where people do virtual game drives and Mm. and just explore from your your living room couch. So I think at the moment that this thing can actually open up um, and people have accumulated some leave and some money again. um, Yeah. I do think it's going to come back in amazing ways, and and probably in a different way than what we used to know. It is where people are going to start discovering these small little areas, opposed mm. to only the
1: mainstream. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I, I agree totally. I, I actually think that um, there's a lot of a lot of people out there around the world who are on the internet at the moment, planning and looking at destinations and dreaming about where, you know, where they're going to be taking their holidays next. And I actually think that all those sort of experiential online uh, live videos you get from, you know, various game reserves, they're going to play an important role in people taking their next trip once this whole thing is sorted out. I think personally, I think there's going to be a lot of multi-generational trips being taken because people are away from their grandparents so much at the moment they're all going to be thinking right let's all go on a holiday together and I think there's going to be big groups of families and I think that's whole that and that's as a result of this which I think is only a positive really yes and you know it Steve I think I think we've all if we don't come out of this learning some
0: lessons you know whether it's diversification of your financials you know your own personal financial position or just the fact that we need to spend more time together as a family because life isn't as guaranteed mm-hmm. as what we thought it to be before all of this happened. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I do agree with you. I think I think people are going to make time for each other. I think um, as soon as the struggle really starts to open up again, yes, struggle might be different. We uh, might have some new measures on planes and yeah. the way, you know, how we deal with it and social distancing, etc. But I do think that the overriding sense out of all of this is going to be now is the time. Uh, we don't know for how long we can travel in this world. Uh, it's a, it really become a crazy place. Um, yeah. so let's do it. Um, yeah, spend time together.
1: Absolutely. So, any uh, all of my uh, all of my listeners out there, get planning and um, keep looking out for uh, some new exciting destinations to go to. So let's let's cast our mind back. It's 2016. No, 2017. Yeah, I think
0: I think if I remember correctly, we were flying back from Mahale to Katavi or one of the two. Um, yeah, you know. And it was quite a long flight that we had that we had going there on a hot day, and, and as you say, it was quite noisy and things. But uh, I mean, we and and we had the, we had the greatest of chats for the next about two hours on that plane, um, yeah. and uh, realised that we're going to be working for the same company. Uh, so you know, so like by luck, by chance, um, but that was that was actually the the start of such an amazing friendship. Um, I know. You know even I know. now that we haven't worked together for a few years, we. Still the best of friends, so I know
1: it was such a good trip though. I I mean that whole Mahali experience and in Tanganyika just blew me away. And um I I really hope that those sort of destinations don't suffer too much. And I know that there are a lot of Particularly in Africa, you know, conservation is a massive element of tourism. I, I really hope that uh, you know a lot of these game reserves and conservation areas are can can come back. What are your thoughts on 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 that in terms of how those sort of game reserves and conservation uh, areas are coping at the moment?
0: You can't deny it. I mean, they're taking an absolute hammering at the moment, and um, they are so you know you you know in, in Africa you know obviously just because they don't get the um, they don't get the the park field, and all of those sort of things and the levies that come in on a a daily basis. But the other big problem in Africa is in these parks are most of these, and that's something that I'm very, very passionate about is the foundation work and the the work that we do amongst um, staff at properties and those sort of things. The problem is that most of these people, each person that works in your property, most likely would would be supporting at least five, six, seven, eight, sometimes ten people back at home. And I think from that point of view, I think that the social side of it and the personal aspects, I think it's it's tougher. Uh, the game reserves will always be there. It's interesting. I mean, I've spoken to a few of the of the of the game rangers now over the past few weeks, and they say it's just interesting to see the movements of animals being very different. Um, They're seeing birds nesting in trees where there used to be a lot of traffic. Um, Now they're nesting there. They see animals sleeping on roads where you would normally not see them because it's Mm. busy in those areas. So hopefully there's some lessons to be learned out of that as well but most certainly you know animals remain there and 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 i think they're actually taking a really good break at the moment
1: okay well that's good so hopefully there, there's some there, they're still being able to do the good work and the animal welfare is is okay
0: because you must remember i mean the one thing is with with no guest in the in the park of course you're gonna it's a, it's just a it's just one of those things you're gonna you're gonna sit with a uh, with the issue of poaching uh, theft and those sort of things that will happen but there are always researchers in the parks at the moment you've got game rangers there still carrying on with all of their projects um, you know so so at least from that point of view I think things will remain exactly the same I mean yeah those places need to be there for all of us to go back um, you know to a job essentially. It was very enlightening to see how the tourism industry stands together and, and us as as tourism partners and clients of each other and how we're all just reaching out and helping. And, and and exactly the same goes into these parks. In the national parks it's a little bit more difficult. But in these smaller parks and where people have got concessions like in Botswana and those places, you know, we, we're still mm. generating funds, we're doing what we need to do. Yeah. So I think so that's just amazing. People are taking hands and they and we're making it
1: work. Are you working with anybody in Botswana at the moment? Steve, I, uh, I, I earlier this
0: year I joined hands with a company called uh, called feline fields an absolutely superb product um, very much unknown in the tourism world although they've been around for about three years um, mm. they've created this amazing eco eco model it's such a ring word what everybody speaks about but their eco model is really just I mean everything works on, on solar powers, um, the way that they do their water filtrations, um, absolutely everything and their complete approach to it and also from a financial point of view, just how they approach it, it's not these big cash cows that sit there that cost you millions of dollars, um, you know, just to keep maintaining. Um, it's as there is guests, you know, they spend the money and they and they make it amazing. They were actually something that ties back into when when our flight, when we did that flight back from Mahale was that that was really on the, on the uh, off the beaten track uh, you know of course you're going to have your main main areas but once you've ticked them off it's really going to explore something that the people in your book club haven't explored yet and that for me is Botswana in this sense they've got a concession in the Kwai concession or mm. the Kwai uh, area and then also in the Kalahari which is quite a nice thing is that you, you're combining absolute amazing amazing game viewing with all the thrills and spoils and excitement of game viewing with the beauty and serenity of the Kalahari.
1: I mean that sounds amazing and and it sounds it sounds like it's a really nice product to work for as well
0: they they're amazing people you know it's a couple um uh, Marian and Rafael Del Sud and they visited Botswana and South Africa and the southern parts of Africa numerous times, and just completely fell in love with with Botswana. And it's so much so that they've actually relocated to South Africa. They they now stay in Johannesburg, uh, not full time, but between here and Europe, and then they uh, they spend most of their time in Botswana. So they've oh, set cool. it up themselves. They've got absolute passion passion for those properties. And you know, I, I think that also shines through, and it's something that that my business as Wanderlust want to concentrate on more in to working closer with these smaller companies where you can truly see the passion shine through because mm. they're not this big commercial venture with 20 properties and everything is just about the financial back end of it. Of course, that element is in there, but you can truly see it in their service delivery. You can see it in the way that they've constructed their buildings um, uh, in, in the one property, the lodge, uh, which is mm. in the Kalahari. Yeah. they only got seven, seven rooms. The way that they constructed it, you're far away from your neighbor next to you. So it's really on that on that personal service. And even in the, in their mobile camping that they do then in the, in the quiet concession where most other companies, and um, when you book a luxury tent at camp, you would inevitably have to share it with some other uh, individual guests that travels with you. Yeah. It's quite amazing is that if you are two rooms or more saying a minimum of three nights, you literally get the camp just for, for you and your family. So you can imagine just a, uh, without paying any exclusivity fees or whatever if you two or three rooms traveling together, these multi-generational trips that you were speaking about, that's the perfect place uh, and the combination of experiences. So you can tell that I'm a complete fan of them
1: already. (laughs) When can I go? When can I go? I can't wait for lockdown to finish. I'm there. I'm there. So I, I know this is going to be hard for some of my listeners to understand, but I think you're probably even more optimistic and positive and motivated than I am, which I, I appreciate you're probably thinking is probably, you know, not true, but it is. So what, what's your motivation every, every morning, obviously prior to lockdown or maybe not even during lockdown? You know, what's your big motivation at the moment? What gets you fired up and excited about life?
0: Whew, um, life or business was or it, it's completely intermingled, right? Mm. Um, so I, I, um, I was always uh, for, for the 20 years that I, that I worked for big corporations and then smaller ones, um, I was always driven. I was career driven um, and not so much about making the money, but but about creating a career. I wanted to be successful and I wanted to have influence over all of these t- uh, tourism decisions. Um, yeah. Because I'm just, I'm so passionate about it. And where my career started, I was, I was working in front office as I was doing, I was working in the financial side. I was working on the, on the game ranging side. Um, I literally, I touched every little part of it. And then in the sales side and then in the head offices, and you know, so, so through all of this, I built a career. I was so focused on the next part of my career and the next part and the next part. But through all of this, I, I learned, I had a, a great uh, diverse experience in the industry. Well, mm. I, I got a, a really diverse experience in the industry. And at some point about four, three, four years ago, I got to the point where I just said I've made a lot of money for for, for other people, for big corporations. And I, As you know me, I mean, I'm, I'm very commercially driven. I love the commercial side of it. I love making plans and, and and getting through tough situations and taking it as a as an opportunity to make things work. And uh, so, a few years ago, I started up with with my company now uh, called Wonderlust. And and for the first time now, and 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 that's why I want to tie it back to you, whether it was before or during lockdown. It's just that it's this absolute sense of achievement where it's not it's not all about the money but it's about creating a brand and knowing that it's your brand and being absolutely passionate about it. Yeah. As what I was passionate about it when I was a, a manager in a, in a luxury camp when I had guests coming in there to make their dreams come true. This mm. is my dream and I'm working hard to make it come true for myself from a selfish point of view. Yeah. But then there's also as my clients that I work for. I've got more than 20 years of experience that I can give back to them and what gets me out of bed every morning is to make an absolute success out of this business is to go to somebody that's got a, a small uh, guest house in Franschuk or in, you know, in the winelands or in the in the Masai Mara um, is to go to mm-hmm. them and to say, you know what, you can you can appoint a normal representation company and uh, and let them look after you and just do do their sales, or you can appoint somebody like me as a company where i 've got a collective amount of people that works with me where we can we can help you not make the mistakes that we 've made over the last twenty years so for me that 's the true motivation it 's creating a a brand that I can be absolutely proud of, but then secondly, it's really helping people in the industry not making mistakes, especially small, smaller run companies where you know they're very passionate about it. So for mm-hmm. me, that's really what gets me up and going.
1: Oh, I love that. I really do. And, and and actually, you know, that it's kind of ever since that first moment I met you, I could I could feel that sort of passion for the industry that you had. It was it was it was incredible, and it was like almost like a a magnet you know you're kind of drawing all of these all of that positiveness and you get the best out of people when you when you're like that i think and um i can i can only you know admire really from a distance at the moment how how well you've you've built your business up in a relatively short amount a short amount of time but i know that your your clients are are going to be well looked after and that's incredible and i love that feline fields it looks beautiful and what a great product and it's always so great to work with people like that as well isn't it people that are you know match your passion and um and you know are going in the right direction
0: absolutely steve you know um, and thank you thanks for the kind words you know it's like when when the two of us sat together in in, in our first meetings um, you know, where we, where we presented products and it's all about integrity, honesty, and a lot of passion. So, you know, you know, when we go into some of these trade shows and we, we do those meetings, you're sitting with 60, 80 meetings of 20 minutes each, um, uh, you know, over the course of the three, four, five days, it's exhausting. And, and I, you know, nothing, nothing against people in the IT industry, but, uh, you know, cause that's their passion. But, but for me, it's just, I can talk about Africa and about animals and, and, let's try and you know after all of that try and make it commercially viable for you as a business for you as a client for you as a potential guest uh, we can do that that we can do for hours on end and i think i think that passion as long as you got that you know it uh, it shines through and oh yeah it's totally uh, there's honesty around
1: it 100 i mean that, that sort of perseverance and uh, passion and you know drive that that segues quite nicely into into comrades and i'd like um our listeners to sort of learn a little bit more about comrades can you tell me what that is
0: so, Steve, um, the Comrades Marathon, um, uh, they would have run their 95th Comrades this year. Um, next year is the 100th uh, commemoration, but due to the world wars, they didn't run a few of them. And the Comrades Marathon is, is something absolutely cut out just for lunatics. It's, it fits into into our, our realm Absolutely perfectly. It's a 90 kilometer more or less. The route differs every year uh, that you run between, in South Africa, between two towns called Durban and Peter Maritzburg. And those two towns are roughly 90 kilometers from each other. Now, to make this even just one, one little step harder, it's run in an area in South Africa that they call the Thousand Hills. So the thousand hills in South Africa is exactly that. Um, you there is not a single piece of flat ground uh, to run it on, and literally every year on a on a cold morning on the sixty, you know, on the tenth, eleven, twelve, somewhere around there in June every year. Uh, about 25,000 of us come together at 5 o'clock in the morning since you've been up since 1 o'clock to get to the starting point. And And then you run for more or less 90 kilometers. You've got 12 hours to finish it. And it's absolutely incredible. For 90 kilometers, you've got support. Every single kilometer next to the road, there are somebody cheering you on. It's, yeah. the, it's in, in the blood of South Africans. It's in our genes. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible feat of just, I think, human perseverance. You know, their slogan is also that every able-bodied person must do the comrades at least once in their life.
1: What's the history of the comrades? It's a guy that came back um,
0: after serving in the military overseas, and he came back to South Africa. And he said, listen here, he wants to run. There was nothing like that in South Africa in those years. And he said he wants to run between Peter Maritzburg and Durban. And he's going to run it in his old army boots, his brown army boots. And he's going to run it uh, in mem- in memory of his fallen soldiers and yeah, his, his comrades that was with him. So he ran it. And there's actually a beautiful little spot on the road, more or less halfway, uh, where he used to go and sit down and smoke his pipe uh, halfway <laughs> during the run. and uh, And then he would continue the rest of it, you know? So... <laughs> They were they were tough buggers in those years, and right? now yeah. us in the
1: twentieth century <laughs> tried to emulate them. But you, you've you've absolutely got to be a complete nutter to do that, I think. and uh, But I, I hold my hat out to all of those ultra marathon runners who do these things and Iron Man and all that sort of stuff. I'm thinking oh my god you've got to be absolutely insane to be able to do it so chapeau to you my friend chapeau I mean I remember we were in London weren't we and you were training for that and it was snowing and everything and you went out and it Correct. was uh, along the running along the Thames for a couple of hours and through the snow and everything and your dedication was uh, was incredible and I think I think was I trained I was I mean this is this is nothing in comparison but exactly. I was doing 100 kilometer, 100 kilometer walk yeah yes at
0: exactly the same time
1: yeah boy that was that was uh, that was an experience um, I mean Steve you know so
0: so the two of us shared so much on that uh, on that trip traveling together where we where we shared the same things and i think what it comes down to is we both we both wanted to do something that really not sort of just you know, not validate your your life or your efforts or whatever. We wanted to do something. I remember the conversation. We both wanted to do something, something that that really stands out, something that yeah. not everybody has done, and some something yeah. where you need to really put your mind to this, and you need to have something that you know a, a very strong belief as to why you're running this or why you are walking it, and and exactly you know, and and we both have that. Yeah. So the you can't you can't do something like that and endure the pain and uh, and. <laughs> And just the absolute craziness for twelve to twenty four hours. I,
1: mean, <laughs> I think <laughs> I, if I'm not sure why any of us do it. No, <laughs> I don't know either. I think if you can, if you can get through that, then we can get through lockdown, right?
0: Absolutely. You know, and Stephen, it is. It's me and you have spoken about this many times before, but it it's how we try and take these life events and then apply it to your life. You know, now you're sitting in a lockdown situation. You're sitting in a position where many of us have seen our businesses. You know. Go to 10 20 percent of the potential of what it was. We've had to endure so much, but mm. then at the end, you look at it, and we can hold on. We we tough. We we've done we've done some tough things in our life, and mm. I had an interesting conversation with somebody the other day where where they said a friend of mine said to me, "He really he's lost his business. He feels like he wants to give up." You know, it feels like the end of the world right now. I said, Tim, you know, I'm not sure what the end of the world looks like, but you can imagine what our forefathers must have, you know, grands and grandfathers and what they must have endured with with Spanish flu and two world wars. And Mm. they've had and atomic bombs and all of these things. I mean, then really, honestly, I want to look at this. Saying that I'm sitting in my house with my AC and Wi-Fi, it's not so bad. We can yeah. survive this. Um, yeah, it's, it's all about perspective. And, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And you know, yeah.
0: Steve, I think I think it, as part of it, it's also it's it's a it's a great opportunity to reevaluate our lives re um, reevaluate not just on a big philosophical way but also reevaluate is how we spend our money, what is really necessary do we mm. need to, to eat out three times in a week or is it, you know, do we make it a family event and do it once a week it, it, it's all of those sort of things it's about what is important for you and what not and mm. so I, I do think what what this is doing is it it's forcing us to connect with each other where it was too easy in the past to say, you know we'll come and visit each other but we never do, it takes a year or two years to see each other now we're talking on on a on a skype or a zoom call or whatever and we make time to see our friends and just pop in and connect on the phone so i think it's it's from a more from from that sort of point of view i think it's hard it's tough that we all as long as we learn lessons to take out of this we'll be absolutely shining coming out on the other side
1: i agree so when you're you know you were in your career looking after these high-end luxury lodges and things did you have any sort of funny moments (laughs) <laughs> when you're uh, when you're in camp or something, that you can tell the listeners about.
0: <laughs> you know, Steve, I think this
1: is this is something that'd be better. <laughs> it's almost better
0: to be told with a glass of that shot and around the, <laughs> around a campfire in Africa. Um, but certainly, yeah, I mean, there's been there's been some amazing stories. Um, you know, I, I you know even just thinking about the running. Uh, I remember running and uh, going out for a run, but in the time when the game drives are out, uh, everybody is on safari, and then I just go and run so, somewhere in the proximity of the lodge, maybe a half a kilometer around the lodge. And and I remember the one day I ran straight into the back of another vehicle, and I was I was, I was so shocked, and I said, <laughs> I said, sorry, 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 I didn't know you were here. They said, listen, you better get on the vehicle. We got a pride of lions in front of the vehicle. You know, it's like <laughs> it's things like that that I think that that just. <laughs> You know, there are tons of these stories that you remember.
1: <laughs> I remember you telling me about that story about when you were um, you uh, chased up a tree, weren't you, by some by some lions or something? So what we do in the evenings, we we
0: try and make it
1: as special as possible
0: for people. So we go and set up dinner out in the middle of the bush, and we put out lanterns and
1: and yeah. um,
0: big roaring fires, and put out the tables, and then, and it just feels like a proper South African braai, but in a very luxurious way. And um, and so you're sitting there in complete darkness, and so every night. Again, you'll see a ranger shining the light around the proximity of where we sit on the tables, and we'll see some eyes every now and again, but that's okay because we got safety and numbers and pretty yeah. really safe and generally it's an antelope or something and and I remember this one night specifically we noticed that they were in the distance we noticed some some eyes uh, and we immediately knew that it was lions and we didn't spot them too far away that afternoon on the afternoon safari so without uh, upsetting the guests we said to them, Listen, yeah, uh, we're gonna actually go and have dessert back at the lodge and we got something beautiful prepared so you know so so all the vehicles left with them to the camp I was I, I remained behind with one of the one of the waiters and the two of us had to wait there with a spotlight and still we got the big roaring fire so we were so scared. So we were shining the light around us and we could see the lions coming closer. And I tell you, our imagination started running wild. So I saw a big old marula tree that was standing there. So I said to to the butler, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm not waiting on the ground. I don't care how big this fire is. I'm getting up in the tree. And he said, okay, good plan. So we, we uh, I climbed up in the tree first, uh, not because I was scared, of course, You know, I wanted to take, take out the proximity. <laughs> and the guy climbed up with a lantern uh, One of these uh, paraffin lanterns so we we were on the top there and i said to him so so phineas his name was phineas comalo and i said to him phineas so what will we do now if the lions climb climb up the tree i mean he said, "Maybe we must try and break off a branch, and we can fight it off." And so now, by this time, we were very scared of the tree. And then he came with this beautiful plan, and he said to me, "I've got a plan." He's got cigarettes in his pocket. We've got paraffin in the in the um, <laughs> in the lantern, and he's going to throw it out and actually set the tree alight, <laughs> so the lions couldn't get up into the tree. <laughs> so anyway, it was just, it's a moment thing, but we were sitting up in that tree, and I I couldn't stop laughing just thinking, "Can you imagine this guy?" I sit our tree a but you know that those are the privileges um, and the fun stories just living in the bush for so many years which we were absolutely privileged to to see an experience um, which other people maybe only experience once in a lifetime we've had the privilege of doing that uh, for 20 years in and out which is which is absolutely amazing
1: oh absolutely no we are we are i, I never take that for granted i really never ever do i, I you know i'm so thankful and i know you are too for all of the opportunities that we've we've had and we've had some terrific opportunities in travel i and, hope and and long may that continue as well you can always have some really beautiful moments when you're out on safari as well and i wondered if you could pick something that is up there on the list of things that you think you you know you can say wow that was pretty special what what would it be
0: one very very special moment that do stand out to me though was happened probably about 18 years 17 years ago um we were up in the um in a Concession, uh, one of and Beyond's Concession's uh, clients camp. Uh, in the Serengeti, which is a private concession, amazing, where you actually got the opportunity to do night game drives in the Serengeti. And a long story short was, I was out with some guys doing filming, um, and we were out for the whole night, and we were out in the field. We had during the night, we had the migration, quite a quite a big herd of a couple of thousand of wildebeers running past our vehicle. The one actually ran into our vehicle, which just added to the whole evenings of experiences. And and I remember this beautiful full moon coming up. We looked around us, and we saw saw. A, a, a male cheetah. Uh, we watched it for probably a 15, 20 minutes. We saw the gazelles on the other side, and we we saw it. Approaching and, then, and then actually went in to do the hunt. And it successfully hunted, uh, hunted a, a gazelle, caught it and just started eating it. And a, and a, a spotted hyena came along and stole the, the prize from him. So we all felt so sad, but now this made for a great great uh, great made for great footage and the, the guys were actually very happy. I was feeling really sad for the male cheetah. And so we were watching this uh, hyena busy eating the prize. And I said to them, oh, well, you know, if we can't look at anything else, let's look back at the cheetah again. And as we turned around and we put the lights on him, he ran again and caught another gazelle. Um, So two in one night that we saw, both caught on film, beautiful full moon um, with no light pollution. That for me was probably one of the more special evenings.
1: I love that. I really do. I, I think that's the one thing that we've been very lucky that we can, you know, look back and really cherish those moments uh, in the industry. And I think that's one thing that's really keeping me going is those memories and, you know, reflections on on um, what travel has been able to give me. And, you know, for me, one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen, and it took my breath away when I first saw it, was seeing the Milky Way when I was in Mahali in Tanzania. And it absolutely blew my mind really and truly it was the most beautiful thing i think i've ever seen in my life
0: i agree with you i it's about taking the time but sitting still and then unfortunately you only get on your second or your third safari as once you've ticked off everything on your wish list when you really go and sit still and you can just say i don't care what's next i really just want to get immersed into this milky way um, yeah to seeing the sagittarius coming up early evening yeah you know, it's all those sort of things and just listening to the Of knowledge of these guides, I I completely agree with you. You know, Steve. For me, the the other thing that I also really, really enjoyed was, um, and that will always stand out for me as. In last year, I started representing a company called Speck Uganda Holidays, which is in, in Uganda. They, they're they absolutely amazing outfitter. Um, and they, they show you so much more than just the gorilla and the chimpanzees. I mean, they show you all of to all of the Uganda. But there was also for me one of those moments where I've sold Africa so many times, but I've never seen a gorilla in, in its natural environment. And yeah. actually tracking up, seeing it for the first time, I literally burst into tears um, mm. because it was just one of those moments where, which I really realized I, I've sold Africa for so many years but actually, I know nothing yet. This is another little part of yeah. of the world that we need to protect, and that I want to show everybody and all my friends.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. I know
0: you've also had that experience. Um, you know, oh, the gorillas! Sure stood
1: out for you. Seeing gorillas face to face was just incredible. They're me- immense; you can't comprehend really that you can be so close to a wild animal. Absolutely, um, and they're so they're so gentle.
0: Yes, yeah, it's just. Listen, yeah, yeah. I don't think we can ever get enough of <laughs> Africa. So.
1: so I think, and I think that's a driving. That's a sort of a motivation I think for a lot of people is to so that we can keep these places like they are so that we can pass down this this gift really of being able to see these wild animals I think that's that's one thing that you know lockdown and and this whole thing has sort of highlighted how precious it all is really you know I think that's a a perfect place to kind of end our our chat. I don't think it's going to be our last chat. I think we're going to have many more conversations because I think you've got a few more stories up your sleeve um, that we haven't got time for uh, on this episode. But Ed, thank you so much for joining me on on the Travelling Optimist podcast.
0: Thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time and and for chatting to me. And uh, I definitely hope the next chat that we're going to have is going to be around a, a roaring campfire somewhere in Botswana.
1: Oh, mate, I am so there. I'm there already in spirit, in spirit.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. Your invitation is in the in the mail. <laughs>
1: oh, thanks, mate. You take care. All the best. My thanks to Ed for taking time to chat with me. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. You can connect with Ed with the links on the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe and review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Stay well, everyone. And thanks for listening.